Hey, folks, Damian Mason coming at you. Before we hop into another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture, I want to tell you about Pattern Ag. Pattern Ag is a company that has pioneered predictive soil analytics. You know, we always treated diseases and pests after they were already in the field, when they were already causing us a problem. But what if you can do this proactively through predictive soil analytics? Pattern has a technology that through their technology, you can say, oh, here's the likelihood that I'm going to have soybean cyst nematode. Here is the prediction on how bad of a risk I face for sudden death syndrome or corn rootworm and a whole bunch of other diseases and pests. When you know what your risk factor is, you can more efficiently and proactively treat for the disease. You can do this by going to pattern.ag and figuring out what your risk factors are through predictive analytics. That's right. Go to www.pattern.ag and then get a hold of your Pattern Ag representative to help you do predictive analytics on your farming operation. Well, greetings and thanks for being here. Got a hot topic for you today, posing a question. Dams, transportation, politicalization of food, and most importantly, is environmentalism taking food off of America's plate? Uh, these issues are more pronounced depending on where you live and work. If you happen to live in areas, say, on what might be called the left coast, you are seeing this more upfront personal and in your business. I've got Michelle Hennings. She is a several times client of mine. She's hired me to speak at the Washington Association of Wheat Growers. Uh, some of you that are listening to this from the Corn Belt or from the East or South, you're saying, what? Yes, they grow a lot of wheat up there. You've heard of a place called the Palouse. Anyway, uh, she is joined by Rob Rich. He is in the transportation business. In fact, his company runs tugboats and barges. He's going to tell us all about that. Those major rivers called the Snake and Columbia that go and move stuff from the, what do they call it? The uh, inner, inner, inner Pacific Northwest, Pacific in, inland. Anyway, they'll tell you what it is out to the ocean. And then Glenn Squires with Washington Grain Commission. So the question we're asking here is environmentalism taking food off of America's plate and is it harming agriculture? And we're not talking about just some uh, person outside of uh, uh, an oil refinery holding up a sign saying oil's evil. No, we're talking about environmentalism that then impacts the state house, that then impacts the political process, and then moves on to Washington, D.C. And that's exactly what's happening out there. Give me an overview, overview Michelle Hennings. Well, for many years, the Snake River dams have been targeted for removal, um, both at the uh, litigation side and uh you know, through the state, uh, where see Congress uh, is the one that can remove the dams, but we're currently right now, there are many targets on them, uh, for salmon recovery. And so wait, so, a minute, wait a minute to the person that's living in say, uh, Ohio. They're saying, all right, we got the Great Lakes. I know about people getting wacky about these things and blaming agriculture, but what do dams have to do with agriculture? The person in Ohio wants to know. Well, we were able to move our commodity to market using our barge systems to, because 90% of Washington wheat is exported overseas. We utilize the barge system and the rail system in trucks. And how we do that is through a competitive nature between all three modes of transportation. If we lose one, we could see a detrimental effect on the farmer for costs. Got it. So, yes, the point is, and, and then geographically, you know, most people listen, they don't watch. We're, we're on Zoom right now recording this. We do release all of these on my YouTube channel, the Damien Mason channel. If you're a listener and you've never been there, go and, and subscribe. It's free. Damien Mason channel on YouTube. But to the person who's not watching this, they can't see our lovely Michelle. Um, 
and, and we don't have a map that we're putting up on this, Snake River, Columbia River. Tell us about the river system in the uh, Northwest. I think that's a good um, question for Rob or Glenn. All right, so Rob, you're in the transportation business and you do move barges around. We use, as, you, as Michelle said, we use the rail, uh, but there's a bunch of mountains up there in your state. Um, and it was going to be a challenge for rail and for trucks. We use the river system. Tell us about the river system and its importance in in the agricultural infrastructure uh, arena. You bet. In the Inland Empire of the Great Northwest here, as we call it. So that would be, of course, Washington State, but also Oregon and Idaho. Uh, we are served by the Columbia Snake River system. That system is 465 miles from Astoria, Oregon, where the ships uh, come into the lower Columbia River to load wheat and other products. And, and that's 100 miles inland to the Portland-Vancouver area for those around the country that are familiar with Portland. Get to hear about them on the news a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, then it's another uh, 365 miles through eight navigation locks maintained by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers four on the main stem Columbia and four on the lower Snake River. Uh, all of these uh, navigation locks are in huge hydropower uh, projects. Uh, these are the highest lift dams in the world, and, uh, as much as 109 feet of lift per dam. So for your listeners that are familiar in the, in the Midwest and such that are looking at very large dams there that have 15, 20, 25 foot lifts, these are enormous. And they're also huge hydroelectric projects. How, how much uh, was the well. lift again? How much was the lift again? As much as 109 feet, it's hard to believe how high the lifts are uh, in these navigation locks. Uh, you go from uh, Portland, Oregon, essentially zero, to Lewiston, Idaho, 785 foot of, uh, of elevation, and that's all done by navigation locks. But that being said, the barging system, it's bringing down wheat from the Snake River to the Columbia and Columbia River wheat all down to these uh, export elevators in the lower Columbia. 10%, 10% of all wheat exported from the United States comes down the Snake River through those four Snake River dams. You that said 10% of all of our wheat exports come through that system. And I think I remember, don't we export about half of our wheat? Isn't there like some number like that, uh, Glenn? Yeah, the U.S. exports 50%. Uh, Washington exports 90%. Sure, right. Michelle already stated that. So half of the United States wheat goes overseas. 90% of the Pacific Northwest or in the Northwest wheat goes overseas. So this is significant. This is significant stuff right here you're talking about. But you said how much of it goes through the river? Well, there's of all the wheat that's exported down here, and Glenn may be able to sharpen this a little bit, it's about 60% that comes by rail and a very high percentage of that is from the, uh, the Midwest, uh, from eastern uh, Idaho, eastern Montana, and back into the Dakotas uh, and such. So that's, that's coming out by rail. But the barged wheat, uh, which makes up about 40% of all wheat that's exported out of the lower Columbia River export uh, facilities, um, is, is coming by barge. So it's actually a fairly massive system for its length. The volume of wheat and the uh, economic stability that it brings not only to, to our nation, but to our region is dramatic. When I think of the uh, environmental activism's uh, ability to possibly be taking food off of our plate, 
The first thing that takes food off of anybody's plate is economic instability, the inability to purchase. And there are two things that drive that. The, the lack of income due to lack of prosperity, and the other would be the high cost of the item that you're purchasing, uh, whether it is a loaf of bread, uh, a, a large sack of groceries, or a gallon of fuel, be it gasoline or diesel. So this system not only brings a lot of economic stability to, uh, to our nation, as you can see with 50% uh, of, our, of our wheat exports coming out of this area and 10% of everything out of America that's exported this wheat down the snake, you're talking a high critical value. I, I think I'll, I'll share one more note here. Uh, when it comes to the, the activism that discusses the concept of taking these dams out, these are not... These are not people that are utilizing these dams and have decided that this is not right. These are not people that have looked at the over 97% fish passage at every dam. 97% of all of the fish that are going from upstream to downstream on their passage to their life cycle in the ocean are, are surviving through the dams through a wide variety of, of, uh, of different programs that would be for another broadcast uh, that the Corps of Engineers uh, is literally world-class in their development of. So, okay, so I want to to say. I, I want to go about that. You're obviously pro water transportation. It's what your livelihood, Shaver Transportation Company, you move stuff via water and that's important to you. Glenn Squires, Washington Grain Commission, and you are a political organization or at least a government sanctioned organization. So you're going to mind your P's and Q's here, but I want you to tell me the truth. Um, is this a political movement that is based on donations and, uh, and, and political pressure from activist groups to remove dams, to, to make it harder on transportation. Isn't that what we were talking about here? We're, we're trying to figure out why our governor, why people want to take out dams that provide barge transportation and replace that with trucks and rail with higher emissions, higher CO2, uh, more road damage, more lives lost due to accidents, you know, 150,000 more trucks. I mean, it makes no sense. Okay. Right? So you just answered something that. right there. It's not, it's not about the actual uh, outcome. It's not about logic. It's not about economics. It's not really about the science. It, this reminds me of, I'm opposed to GMOs because my yoga partner told me I should be opposed to GMOs. And now it's a religion. I'm opposed to name anything that, that becomes a political slash ideological, almost then like a religion. Is that where we are on dams? Well, in some ways, I mean, the, the argument is the, the dams are, are killing the fish and, you know, we, we got to get a natural river. But it's not accurate. That's, that's not accurate as Robert reported that. Yeah, there's so many, uh, the, the salmon, <laughs> there are four salmon species that swim back and forth across the Snake River dams that are, that are threatened and endangered. There's 27 species on the threatened and endangered species, you know, for salmon on the West Coast, whether they're in rivers that have dams or no dams. Okay. Um, it's, it's a widespread problem and so this silver bullet of taking four dams out we're going to solve the salmon problem it the dams are not the 97 percent, so it's not 100 percent passage yeah. but in a natural river 
they're not 100% survival. Okay, so it becomes it becomes an emotional, ideological thing. I need to oppose something for my religion. I don't go to Methodist church anymore like grandma did. I'm kind of a left-leaning uh, a Birkenstock wearer in Seattle. I have to have some religious fulfillment in my life. I'm going to oppose dams and GMOs and support community-supported agriculture where I can go out and, and eat organic arugula that I'm convinced saves the world. Am I right there, Michelle? Michelle, did I just nail it? <laughs> yes, because I mean, if it was just strictly the salmon, there's many things that we do to help save the salmon. Farmers want to also help save the salmon. Yeah, so uh, there's many things that we do using funding, fish ladders, you know, all those types of projects that can do that. And when it comes down to it, it is the value system. You know, let's get the river back to the original flow. You know, it comes down to values and and those types of things, personal, you know, values that they have. So I think that, you know, that's the frustrating part is can we come to the table and discuss an actual solution? Or are we always, because if you're just dealing with someone's beliefs, that's hard to change yeah. versus the don't actual you, issue that there's a reality to it. As I always say, the cause never goes away because there are people making money off of the cause behind the humane side of the United States. There's a bunch of people that are out there for free protesting a chicken processing facility. So they think it's evil to kill chickens, but behind the scenes, the paid employees of the humane side of the United States are rigging in boatloads of money. They, uh, they just do fundraising. They're PR people, they're legal people and they get paid. If, Every chicken facility closed and we all became vegans. Would Humane Society of the United States go away? My prediction is no, because those 600 employees of HSUS don't want to go and find new jobs. They, they are employed to have a cause. So if that's your business, you've got to always have a cause. The worst thing in the world for uh, a cause is that it goes away. I think if you said, all right, you know what? Blow the dams, dams up. Blow the damn dams up. You win. They're not going to go away. Those people just move the target. Glenn's shaking his head in agreement with me. Take it away. I, I totally agree. Um, it, it, once those four dams are out, then they'll they'll need to take out this, the ones on the snake on the uh, Columbia River. Well, that point I always make to my ag people is there's no appeasing activists because, again, the activists need a cause. And for the, the, the devoted followers, it's their religion and people don't let go of their religion very easily. And then the other part of it is the funding, the people that are organizing, the, the, the people on the pulpit that are beating the, the you know, beating this into their followers. They need it for their money. Rob. He, you've mentioned four dams a number of times. So what's the deal? How many dams are there total? Oh, on the on the Columbia Snake River transportation system, there are eight, four on the okay. lower Columbia uh, and four on the uh, the lower Snake. So the uh, activists, the activists that now are influencing the politicians with their money and their activism and then also their stunts. That's what activists also do. They do a lot of showing up at events and making big, huge political spectacle. So then politicians run scared of them. They started off by saying, we want four, only four. And you and I both know it won't be only four. It'll be the next thing and next thing. But how did they, what's their alleged reason for just the four? Well, because they, they are saying that because there are such low fish returns to the state of Idaho, that, um, that these, just, these just have to go. And so this drum has been beating for the last 20 years. And you'd mentioned Representative Simpson's uh, uh, proposal here just uh, a couple of years ago. 
uh, in the last year or so, even Representative Simpson himself was quoted as saying, I am not sure that removal of these dams will bring the fish back. But if we don't try, we'll never know. And that gets to the cultism, to the, the position that you were speaking of earlier. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, although I'm, I'm very proud to represent uh, uh, marine transportation and I'm certainly 100% behind barging, but we're environmentalists as well. I, I have a, a little diagram in front of me from the Texas Transportation Institute. It's from 2022, this year, recently upgraded. Ton mile traveled per gallon of fuel. So a ton of cargo on a gallon of diesel. Trucks have done a great job in the last many years. 151 miles on a, a gallon of diesel to move a ton. Rail is kind of the big dog in the country. 472 miles three times the efficiency of uh, of trucking. So anytime you can be at rail, that's that's just wonderful. I, by the way, I don't think most people have ever heard these terms. I think it's really cool. You call it a ton, ton per diesel. What's oh, it's, it, I actually have to look at it myself because you can get tripped up on it. It's ton miles traveled. Ton so that'd miles. be one ton. Ton miles traveled per gallon of fuel got it so ton well, miles travel. i go i go i can take a ton of freight 150 miles by truck unless i'm going uphill but i'm sure this is on average and then what was it for rail three times rail that? is 472 All and right. that's to be very commended uh -huh. In, inland barging is 675 so if i'm if i am serious about carbon if i am serious about fossil fuel if i am serious about co2 emissions and climate change I, if I was an activist, I would be doing everything possible to shift as much truck and rail off of truck and rail wherever barging exists. And yes, barging does not exist in our entire country, but where it does, that's where these cargoes should go. So the concept of taking the dams out to save the fish, if, if we're actually going to macro this a little bit and start looking at climate change and, and our world's environment, you, you, you would be flooding our waterways with cargo to get it off of asphalt and off of rail. By the way, I'm not uh, bedeviling trucks and rail because every single ton of cargo that moves by ship ends up coming by rail, truck, uh, one way or another before it gets to a barge. They all, they all work ship. together. I want to yeah. uh, talk about the reality of this and uh, more. And we're going to be talking about is environmentalism taking food off of America's plate. And I would say, yes, it is. I want to talk to about some of the specifics before we do that. I want to remind you, if you enjoy the business of agriculture podcast, you should check out what we're doing over at extreme ag. Extreme ag is a group I began working with a little over one year ago. They, some of America's and even Canada's forward thinking, progressive, success-minded business oriented farming operations. They're doing product trials, uh, trialing new practices and new machinery. Go and check it out. Extreme ag, no E on the front of it just extreme ag.farm got hundreds of videos and podcasts out there it's free stuff you can check out and learn from please go check out extreme ag.farm we're doing a lot of cool things on some of the farms across america and you can see what we're doing there and you'll learn and get some insights you can actually apply to your own niche in the industry of agriculture um all right so here's what i'm hearing glenn uh washington association of wheat growers that's michelle 
She's a paid activist herself. And then uh, Rob over here, he thinks you should take those dirty old barge and, and tugboats and run them up and down the rivers, probably with diesel spewing out into the river. He doesn't give a shit. You know what? Just kill off the river. You, though, actually sort of side with these people and you think, you know what? They're good people. They just need you're not as radical as these two. That's kind of what I'm gathering. Tell me what we're up against. Tell me what we're going to do about this. Tell me about what is actually going to happen. They're going to win, aren't they? No. And as, as yeah. far as as radical, I. Uh, hey, I wait a minute. You're the guy that spews no. diesel down the Columbia River. That is not the case. I am the person that is using the least amount of diesel. And over 70 percent of all towboats in inland America are tier three and tier four diesels. That cannot be said for even for rail. Right. So if, if there's a way to reduce emissions, the cleanest way to do it is is by barging. And by the way. It isn't just because I'm in the barge industry. This, this is the truth. And so I, I deal with fact and, and passion. By the, way, by the way, that's where you're off on this. Activism is never about facts. It's about emotion. It is. I know that's, that, that's where I struggle because, you know, all I'm armed with is facts because facts are supportable. And I want to be able to speak from a position of support. Uh, yes, I, I have my passions and my opinions, but uh, in this, we've, we've noticed we've, hey, we've already noticed we've already noticed those two things. We've noticed your passion and your opinions. Go ahead. OK. Anyway, uh, the the being able to educate the people that aren't sure, uh, for instance, even even though we're not going to get into the political side of it, you have the far right and the far left. You're not going to change their political ideology. No. But where do where do the campaigns try and focus on, on the, uh, the unaffiliated or the unsure voter. Well, that's, that's who we're trying to reach out to in the, in the, uh, in the community of, of uh, that the activists are being able to act in. And that is the people that aren't sure, well, I've heard this, well, I've heard that, I'm not really sure. I feel it's really important to share facts with them. Yeah, Here's the tough part about facts. Now, Rob, I want to go and I want to talk to Glenn because he's out here and he's fighting a good fight for us. I tell him all the time. I tell my ad groups, I'm, I'm with you. I share facts on social media. I've got this huge following. I say, here's the actual data. But it never moves the needle with the activists because the activists, again, are it is a religion for them. So uh, you, you go and tell them, hey, I can find all kinds of flaws in your Bible. They're going to cling to it harder. And that's kind of what we got going on. Now, the good news is they're not actually that populous. I mean, just kind of like uh, the vegan and vegetarian community would have you convinced that they're everybody. They're like a couple percent at best of the United States population. Those who want to tear out the dams are probably only a few percent, but they are amazing at making themselves look bigger. You know, they always said, if you're like in the woods and a bear country, make yourself look bigger and more frightening. Uh, and, and, you know, that's what they do. They make themselves seem bigger and more and more influential than they are. Am I right? Comes down to the money they have. Where did Glenn go? I just asked him a question. <laughs> he just sat there and looked at me. <laughs> well, is, it, is it break time for you? No, I you know I, I, I'm thinking your your think Midwest, faster. Your Midwest folks, what for them to understand what what the threat that we have out here is. For somebody to say, we don't need the Illinois River, we don't need the Ohio River that flows into the Mississippi. Just truck or rail your commodities further down the river and then put it on the river and go on out. Or we don't really need the, Missis the uh, Missouri. Mm -hmm. 
So, so we're, that's what we're. Those are all the feeders to the, in case somebody's wondering yeah. why you bring those, those all feed into the Mississippi. So at the south right. end of my state of Indiana, uh, there's the Ohio river and there's barges that go up and down that thing. And they go a lot further upstream from Indiana. Mm-hmm. They go over to Ohio, of course, and, and, and grab barges. So I get what you're saying right there, but let's talk about the reality of their influence. So politically, um, the Congress authorized the, the multi-use nature of the river system. And, and so, as Michelle said earlier, it's Congress that would have to authorize the removal of, of the dams. Um, the more, and we've had a lot of legislators uh, from around the country come out and start seeing and you know what, being educated about the, the Columbia Snake River system and invariably they says, you know, this is crazy. This, this makes no sense at all. There are so many actions that can be taken that don't destroy economies to benefit the salmon. We should be doing those, those things. And I think the more education, Rob made reference to the education, the more that that's happening to our legislators, the more they're seeing, oh, well, nobody told me about that. You know, that's not the message that I got. Once I see what's going on, the numbers of irrigated acres that are uh, the, the whole, you know, we're talking wheat moving down the river. But there's a lot of irrigated land that is um, producing food, you know, all, all sorts of food. You mean so, stuff besides wheat? Stuff we use yeah. irrigated. We don't, we don't, we don't typically irrigate. Yeah, potatoes, uh, you know, apples. So, you know, that literally is food off of the American table. If, if you eliminate agriculture, uh, irrigated agriculture out of those those pools. Well, is that a push also? Michelle, are they talking about getting rid of irrigation? They say get rid of the dams and don't let people pull water out of these rivers? They think there's solutions. I mean, they're coming up with like, you know, the amount of money they could pay to try to you know, change the pumps and lower them, that type of thing. But yeah, it, we would lose a lot of irrigation. That's for sure. I think also, you know, like you said, Damien, it comes down to emotion and telling your story. And I feel like sometimes ag, we're not as loud as the others with that. And some of it has to do with funding sometimes, but I feel like, you know, we need to get out there and be loud and tell our story. I think that, you know, ag's always been kind of conservative. I think that that's, there's something to that. But remember, they're better at PR than we are. And they always go and tell the consumer, the average consumer, like Rob was talking about, that is in the middle and says, I don't know, I, I want my wheat, a loaf of bread and I want my box of Wheaties. And I, yeah, I don't want to tear up the environment. And they don't know any better. They're generally, and we're not being mean, but they're environmentally ignorant and they're agriculturally ignorant, unfortunately, and sometimes they're economically ignorant as well until they go to the grocery store and realize that that cause they supported because they felt like, oh, well, you know, I'll just go with my emotion. They go to the ballot box and they vote for that or they support that. And then it costs them another dollar every time they want to grab a box of Wheaties. And that hurts people at the lower end of the spectrum. Rob, what you got? You know, you'd mentioned uh, your home state of Indiana there. I'm going to really personalize this for you. It's way out here on the Columbia River. We're a long way from Indiana, aren't we? Shaver Transportation, by the way, we're only one barge line. Shaver Transportation in the last four years has built $15 million worth of grain barges just outside of, um, I believe it's Granville, um, Indiana, at a little shipyard called Corn Island. Corn Island Shipyard on the Ohio River. And our, our next two barges are being launched as we speak. So it's not an advertisement for that, but there are 60 people 
that work at that yard mm -hmm. that depend on the work that is being done by that yard to produce these grain barges for the Pacific Northwest. And uh, you, you take uh, you take that work away from them because we don't have the dams here. That absolutely is an example of activism, taking food off mm -hmm. of the table of people that are as far away as uh, southwestern Indiana. So what about the uh, the actual outcome? Um, let's say they win. Let's say they win and they make you get rid of these uh, dams. Um, you know, the political forces are lined up that way and, and they've got money and they've got emotion. And they 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 it's a wonder they didn't win all the fights because that their emotional ties to and plea seems to work. What happens? Glenn, what happens to what happens to do food prices go up? I say, yes, they do. Do farmers in your part of the world take an economic hit because their stuff becomes less competitive because it costs more to ship it? Are these the outcomes that we can expect? Oh, yeah. Freight rates will go up, obviously. Um, anywhere that when freight rate and the reason that it matters when freight rates go up you're no longer competitive then yeah. brazil brazil becomes more australian wheat yeah. becomes more competitive am i right the u.s becomes a little less competitive um farmers become less competitive farmers rates go up uh yeah yeah it's just a, a cost increase but i think what will happen is uh there will likely be lots of lawsuits uh permitting uh, you know, sediment, uh, you know, there's going to be so many studies that will have to be done. Um, and, you know, the studies that, that I've read, they, they acknowledge that the salmon are going to be hurt because, you know, if they start pulling out the earthen parts of the, of the dams, that the salmon will not benefit. Uh, so the alleged reason, the alleged reason for the opposition to the dams is because of salmon, which you said are having a 97% success rate utilizing the dams, uh, environmental structures that were put in fish ladders and things like this is what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. So now we might harm them. And then also, isn't there a huge economic play? You start taking out dams. Don't we have more flooding? And then, and people say, well, that's natural. Well, tell that to the people that live in a house trailer park that's along the river down river. Is that going to be the issue also? Uh, that's in Rob's neighborhood down there. Um, yep. The lower Today he lives in a trailer park along the river. <laughs> it's a nice one though. Nothing against trailers. No, that's boy, Glenn, you're absolutely right. Because, uh, the, uh, the, we won't get into much of it here, but the Columbia river treaty that, uh, that started after the, the epic flood of 1948 put in uh, a huge system of dams on the Columbia river and elsewhere to help protect Portland, Oregon, uh, from the, the disastrous flood of 48 that uh, killed 50 people and, and raked uh, an awful lot of economic damage. But that being said, if the, uh, Damien, the, the dams go away, there will be a, a major segment of the of the market, as Glenn is pointing out, and, and Michelle as well, that will no longer be available uh, because it'll no longer be competitive. So if it isn't competitive to be sold, it is it can't be produced. If it isn't going to be produced, what about the scores and scores of small inland communities that rely on that agriculture? And by the way, every one of those communities is filled with families, hundreds of families. Right. And when we start talking numbers, we kind of get lost in numbers. It only takes one family yep. going, losing their ability to generate income to create a major crisis for that family. Then you start multiplying it by the hundreds of Washington, Idaho, and Oregon farm families 
that no longer are competitive because they don't have economical barge service to compete with the other forms. Two years ago, when the government began shutting uh, small business down, and I explained to one of my friends who's more like a government employee type, the economic multiplier index. And he said, what does that mean? And I explained the economic multiplier index, as you just mentioned. When a small business guy like me makes another $100,000, I, uh, I don't bury it in my yard. I spend it on stuff. And when I spend it on stuff or hiring somebody, then I pay somebody or I contract with somebody to build me a new barn. And when they build a barn, then they go to town and they buy sheet metal and then the economic multiplier index. And that's what you're just talking about right there. For Is it really going to be that bad? Hey, Michelle, go ahead, Glenn. For wheat, it's $3. For every dollar generated by a bushel of wheat, it's adds three dollars the multiplier effect yeah because again transportation agriculture tends to be a huge economic multiplier we work at pretty small margins on the production end of it but again we buy a new semi we buy a new grain bin we put new gravel in our driveway we buy a new piece of farm machinery those are huge capital outlays that then there's a lot of people downstream that are making money speaking of downstream michelle um, where do you see this thing shaking out? You know, we said, uh, I'm, I'm retitling this now. It's going to be damn those dams, how environmentalism is taking food off our plates. It is happening, but you represent the wheat growers. They're obviously concerned about this because they want the transportation. If the dams go away, then there's less barge traffic. Is that true? I mean, he, he just can't run. Rob can't run as many barges because all of a sudden we have the control of the flow and the ability to lift the barges up and all that. How much do we lose? I don't know. Rob would know exactly how much we lose, but it would be it would be a lot. I mean, you know, it comes back to competitiveness. Another question I'm going to kind of go divert from your question, Damien, is that I get asked, well, why don't you grow something else? You know, you have to ship 90 percent of your wheat overseas and not domestically sell it. What, why don't just you grow something else? And we can't. We're dry land farmers out here. We're mainly dry land farmers out here. And we cannot grow other crops besides the barley maybe some canola and wheat. And right now with the Ukraine-Russia, you know, conflict, they need wheat. So it's really frustrating coming from an advocacy side that all these targets are on wheat farmers when they want more wheat production. And and like you said, the the funny thing is, well, even if you do grow something else, as uh, Glenn already spoke about, it still needs transported. You know, in other words, maybe it doesn't need transported to Japan the way a lot of your wheat ends up in Japan or China or Philippines or what have you, but it still needs transported. It's not going to get consumed in Morrow, Oregon. Uh, I've been there and, and Morrow, Oregon, a town about the size of my office. And you couldn't you couldn't consume all the wheat that's produced there because there's only 80 people. So it's got to get transported no matter what's being produced there. And your guys can withstand a little bit of a new transportation cost, but to go strictly to truck, again, as Glenn pointed out, it's bad for the roads, it's bad for the environment, but also it adds such a cost. Is it even capable? Are we, do we, can we run enough trucks? The one do thing we have I enough think, trucks. Do we have enough truck drivers? No, we don't. Not right. You don't even, when the, when a grocery store says we don't have something, it's usually a transportation issue right now, right? Yep. You know, Damien, we did a little little math just on that very question uh, you mentioned about uh, do we have enough trucks yesterday uh, here in the office. If you took the wheat, if you took the wheat that was transported down the Snake River last year, it's about 163,000 semis. Now, you've been out to the Northwest and to the, your listeners on this, this uh, podcast that um, uh, are in rural areas. Uh, they, there's a lot of beautiful two-lane highways out here. They are two-lane highways. And when you're talking about a stretch of river 
that is, uh, what, 265 miles long, something like that, from Lewiston, Idaho, 140, 160 down to the Tri-Cities, which is the middle of our system. Uh, 166,000 semis on two or three two-lane highways, it it is not, it it would be, a nightmare isn't even the word. Uh, The Washington State uh, Department of Transportation has long said, and even recently, that it would take a massive transportation study to see if it could even be feasible, let alone who's going to build the freeways, and then who's going to, who's, and we're going to put all those trucks out, who's going to drive the trucks, Michelle, who's going to drive them, And, and is that what activism is trying to do, is to add more trucks, I'm going to say the answer is no. Now, but it's misguided. It's so misguided because they don't know what they're doing. They just know they have a cause that they have to be a part of. Here's what's interesting. About a month or so ago, because I have great guests here on the Business of Agriculture uh, podcast, as you well know, because you are guests on this podcast. I had a guy on talking about transportation and he was all about maritime transportation and, and how we're going to be screwed up for another couple of years. And he said the exact thing you're talking about. He said, right now, he says, everybody thought it was just pandemic. He says, we've also got the demographic. And then we also regulated truck drivers. You know, they have to have certain their neck size and all this. Right now, he says, we got about five loads for every one trucker that wants to haul it. And so this was just a month or so ago. And that was a point in time, but it's not gotten a lot better. Um, You kind of point out an interesting question here or a big, and I'm just kind of getting ready to wrap things up. And this is where, it's so misguided, but this is the problem. In a well-fed, well-off country, folks don't have to make sense. They don't even have to rationalize in their head in a logical form because once it doesn't rationalize, they just tell themselves a story and say, yeah, but I'm a good person because my my yoga partner that I drink lattes with said that those dams are evil. And, and that's all they need because that works for them. And you'd say, well, we live in an information and economy now. Social media has not helped this. Right now, there's as many people probably on Facebook opposing you evil damn supporters as there are, uh, it's probably 10 times as many that oppose the dams as, as you. And so I don't know where it ends up. And I don't, I'm not very positive for ag. And I guess I want to leave it here when you guys can all respond to this. One of our big benefits is that we have the infrastructure. We hear, and I read this all the time, Brazil is amazing at producing crops. They get two crops on many, many areas of Brazil per season. They can't get the stuff away. They don't have the river structure. They don't have the rail structure, the ports, the highways, whatever. We have amazing infrastructure and environments want to blow the shit up. We, we have what other countries literally would die for and cannot afford and our activists want to blow up the one thing that sets us apart from the developing world and that is our infrastructure and our ability not only to produce the food but to move it so i want everybody's thoughts on that going around uh glenn you've been quiet for a minute yeah i i I totally agree with that um when a, a ship comes from the philippines in they they need the product to arrive at the export point load the ship and gone um, the mills, they, they need those ships regular, right? And I'm like Rob, you know, not, not castigating the, the rails, but the arrival time for a rail when, you know, an L- export elevator calls, hey, I need a, you know, a train such, who knows when the train's going to actually show up? I mean, it could be 10, 15, 20 days late. The barges move a huge amount of weight, as Rob mentioned, very timely. 
the rails often are at capacity or problems. The river is almost unlimited capacity. It has unbelievable excess capacity. Mm-hmm. Much more could move on the river in a clockwise. Yeah. You know, you can even close up in twenty minutes. So let's go to Rob. We'll close out Michelle. Rob, could we? I'm, yeah, could we be doing more capacity oh, than we are? Oh, that, that is perfect. Uh, that we, we talk about that frequently. Without investing an additional dime, and I know how ridiculous that sounds to, to say without investing an additional dime, without investing an additional dime, our river system could handle triple the tonnage that it's handling right now. Now, I have to be careful saying that because there are those that will say, well, if you're only at a third capacity, do we need you? That isn't it. It's that with the timing of barges, with the distance between navigation locks, without getting all technical on it, right. without adding any more infrastructure yeah. other than the current operation and maintenance of the dams, right. there could be at least a twofold, if not a threefold increase. Right. The reason I'm all saying all that requires is more boats and barges. It doesn't require anything. It, it, we don't have to do any more of the actual infrastructure. Michelle. That, that is correct. Michelle. And we'll leave it to you to wrap it up. My old pal, been working with the Washington wheat growers for years. We got so much history. She's a member of the Business of Agriculture Success Group. Dear listener, if you don't know what that is, go to my website, sign up for it. We'd love to have you. It's a collection of agricultural professionals that meet online every two weeks and have guest presenters and share ideas and dialogue. Anyway, Michelle, to wrap this all up, you, um, you want what's best for your wheat people. And you've gotten thrown into this. Of all the different things that you do for wheat, you've now gotten into something you probably 18 years ago when you joined the group didn't even think that this is going to occupy a bunch of your time. It's occupying a whole bunch of your time. And you've got to tell these people, you want to blow up infrastructure that Brazil would kill for. That's really what we're talking about, right? Right. I mean, exactly. I think it comes down to safe and reliable food. We feed other countries. So are you going to take food away from other countries? you know, unfortunate countries that we're feeding along with domestically, you know, what is it, when is it, when are people going to decide that we, it is important to have safe, reliable food. I know what unreliable food looks like. And I don't think the United States wants to get into a situation like that. Do you think Michelle, since, since the last two years, when the consumer in America went to the grocery store and couldn't get toilet paper, that never happened before. And then they like went there and then there was a panic and then there was no meat. You get all that crappy beyond meat crap you wanted, but you couldn't get real meat. So for the first time ever, the American consumer saw some scarcity do you think that helps us or do you think it's a blip in the, it's a blip on the radar and they're like on, on and forgot about it. And it's like, yeah, you're right. You're the dams. Do you think that this, that we win? I think that they do forget. I think it, until it really hits somebody hits them hard and I don't want to see that, but I think that's what it will take because, you know, we keep educating, 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 and we're targeted consistently over it. So, so, so where do you see it going? Do we win or am I going to be talking to you two years from now and the Enviro, uh, the Enviro Nazis have won and blown up all the dams. There's flooding that trailer park we're talking about. You know, the poor people are always the ones who get hurt worst. <laughs> who lives along the river where it's going to flood? Poor people. Who's going to pay more for a box of Wheaties that can't afford it? Poor people. Environmentalism hurts lower income people. Is that where, especially extreme activism in environmentalism, is that uh, is that where this goes? I don't think so. I think we're going to win. I think that, you know, food's going to overcome, you know, what's happening out there. People are already 
realizing that they can't afford how the way the economy is going right now, especially with the inflation. The the food inflation might have been our best ally, unfortunately, that uh, against extreme activism where they're regulating pin sizes in California or dam dam, uh, destruction in the Pacific Northwest. I like it. Her name is Michelle Hennings. She's with the Washington Association of Wheat Growers. She's also part of my business of ag group. She's awesome. Go to Washington Association of Wheat Growers if you want to hear more from her. You know what? Just go there and just like send her emails just because she's cool. That's what I would recommend you do. Um, and uh, and then his name is uh, Rob Rich and Shaver Transportation Company. And he knows a lot about this. And he apologized for being opinionated and uh, and informed about it, but I, he's both. Um if they want to find you, where do they find you? Shaver Transportation Company? You bet. Uh, Shavertransportation.com. And then Glenn Squires, Washington Grain Commission. Uh, what, what, are the, what do I need to do if I want to find you? WGC at Walgreens.org. I thought he said Walgreens for a while. I said, what the hell? Are we going to get a prescription? All right. He's Glenn Squires, the Washington Grower uh, Grain Commission. All right. That's an awesome discussion. And I'm going to still leave it out there. And I think it's still a question. But uh, you know what? I think environmentalism is taking food off of our plate, especially the poor people. Um, go out there and fight the good fight for the business of agriculture and do all you can to lend your support to the people in the Pacific Northwest. Beautiful country if you've ever been up there. If you haven't been up there, I encourage you to go. Amber waves of grain on those beautiful hills that they farm with those combines that have uh, the, the front axles that go like this. It's really cool. Anyway, my name is Damian Mason. Thanks for being here. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. Well, that concludes another fantastic episode of The Business of Agriculture. This episode was brought to you by Pattern Ag. You know, everybody in agriculture understands the importance of soil health. We also keep an eye on our soil better than we ever did through advanced soil testing. But what if there was a company that provided predictive analytics? Not just checking out nutrients and all the elements that are in there, but also could tell you the degree of risk you face with disease and pest pressure. That's right. Pattern Ag can do that. They actually can tell you, hey, you're going to have a real issue here. You can preemptively, proactively treat for corn rootworm or cyst nematode or sudden death syndrome before the problem actually starts costing you yield. Go to pattern.ag. That's www.pattern.ag to find the nearest rep that can help you start doing better for your soil. (laughs) 